Frank? Where'd he go? Hey! Give me your fucking wallet, motherfucker. You're kidding, right? Do I look like I'm fucking kidding? Frank! Give me your wallet! Frank! Do you wanna die? For the last time, give me your wallet! Oh God, now I've got brains splattered all over me. Good afternoon. Hello, everybody. Hello. Ooh, who's uh, this? this is... We have a guest yeah. with us today. Yes, this is a very special edition of the film room and one that we are extremely excited about. I'm Austin. I'm Albert. And our guest today is um, someone who's come up before in the cast, I'm happy to say. Um, you might have uh, seen Punisher Warzone, or hopefully you've had the chance to see Green Street Hooligans. Ugh, watched that this week, loved it. Our special guest today is uh, the director of uh, said films, uh, Lexi Alexander. Lexi, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you yeah. for coming on. Oh. We, uh, she has, of course, been in the news a bit lately because of some really superb essays that uh, have kind of got the internet talking and very well, I should note. Yes. Oh, thank you. I cannot say enough good about those. I thought those were really great think pieces. Uh, it's funny, you know, it was, um, you know, I had this website and I had a blog and um, I've never been great at social media, to be honest, uh, even when I was promoting a film. But there, you know, there was a point where I guess it really comes down to when you write something from your heart. And I, I literally thought not more than three people would read it. That first blog I wrote in, I think, January or February. And that's the one that went kind of viral and caused all of this. And then I wrote a couple in between that people, I guess, weren't that interested in. And then the piracy one was another one that really hit a nerve. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's not something I do on purpose. <laughs> you know, I guess I'm, I'm a fairly blunt person, which is not something you find very often in Hollywood. And so people think it's great somebody says the truth. <laughs> We do. We do. The, the Internet is desperate for the truth. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that entry back in January. Just for those who are not caught up on our history, that entry was one of the entries that made us decide that we needed to talk about that subject ourselves. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Yeah. The yep. uh, subject of women in film. Uh, on that one, we had our good friend uh, Beck Poppins on and uh, had a great little chat. Yeah. Uh, hmm. the. The long and short of it is we're with you all the way on it, basically. Yes. Oh, fantastic. You know, I say this over and over, you know, that, you know, surprisingly, the film buffs, the bloggers, the fans, fandom, comic book fandom, they are screaming. And I'm talking about guys now. They're screaming for women to direct films. And they keep writing like we should have women and, we, and they name names, you know, and I'm just frustrated that it seems to be these few gatekeepers who keep us all from, you know, having equality. 
because they're in the minority. Those people who decide are in the minority, but I'm not sure how we can get, you know, to kind of organize and say, you know, I I don't think I could convince comic book movie fans to just not go if they felt the wrong director is on it, because I think that everybody's bitching about the decision and then they all go anyway. We're sheep. Well, you know, it's a, it's, you know, there are no, you know, there's Marvel properties are Marvel properties and same for DC, but let's stick with Marvel and Marvel has one Ant-Man and when people read Ant-Man, um, it doesn't, even if they're unsatisfied with the final choice or whatever it is, you know, there's no, nobody else is making Ant-Man, but that's problematic because you know, if people don't take a stand, then I think we're all kind of dumbing down by getting served what they want us to be served. I mean, it's a little bit like I always think of back in the in East Germany where I didn't grow up, but obviously it was across the fence. And you saw these people in these ugly cars because that's the only car they got. And they had to wait 14 years for one. They had to be on the waiting list, you know. And so I'm thinking, well, if only one person decides what product we can buy, it's not a good thing, you know? Absolutely. You mentioned how comic book fans are, we are among the ones that are speaking up because I'm certainly a huge comic book fan. Um, We, (laughs) oh yes, I was at the shop this morning. Um, You know, one of my favorite writers who's writing right now is Kelly Sue DeConnick. She she wrote, until it was canceled, of course, the best Avengers title on the market. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, Avengers Assemble. It was this superb fun, classic style Avengers comic. And the fans didn't, we didn't really care. We didn't even think it was just like, well, this is a good comic. And this is, uh, this is who's writing it. At the end of the day, we just want quality is what we want. Right. I totally agree with you. And I think it's the same for movies. Oh, absolutely. And, and what's going to happen though, is, you know, the numbers are getting so bad that at some point, I, I don't know. I'm actually hoping for this. On the other hand, it's going to be bad. If there is some kind of quota because the numbers are just getting too ridiculous and people will not put up with it anymore. Like, for example, right now we have the ACLU and now the EEOC looking back into the issue. At some points they will say, folks, you know, we can't go on like this. This is obviously a boys club. This is golf buddies giving each other's movies, green lighting each other's movies. And if that's going to happen, now you have to seek female directors among the few who are actually skilled enough. And we're, we're dying breed because I think the female film students are realizing quickly that there's no career. There's no money-making career for them. So they switch to other areas. Many of them become producers. Others, you know, go into a completely executive type of direction. And so now if you have 10 directors to choose from who could possibly have the skill to direct an Ant-Man movie or whatever that is, you may not get the best that you could have, you know, and that's what worries me because then you have women directing and everybody's like, well, had we known it's going to be that bad, you know? Well, I mean, this reminds me of what happens when female superhero movies tank and they tank because they're terrible movies, not because... Uh, the not because people won't go see female fronted action movies. I believe Kill Bill should have put the well. Okay, Kill. I can't even list the number of <laughs> women fronted movies that have made money. It, mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. But you know, you're right. What ha- what happened with those was they released a few. They were absolutely dreadful. 
Nobody went to see them. And the executives, because they're sexist morons, put the view that, oh, well, that's the issue. Correct. And do you know what nobody's talking about, which is a lot of the stuff we know behind the scenes, is that they're so afraid of a female lead movie or a comic book movie directed by a woman that without the public knowing, suddenly the market budget is cancelled. It's coming out at a really bad time. It's not getting any P&A support. Uh, the, the female director or the female lead is not nearly getting as much PR. People, I mean, we have huge trouble getting people to write about um, women writing on big projects and actually, if somebody would do a study there, there would be a huge difference. What, like, say, a high-profile writer versus a high-profile female writer, male writer, are getting uh, an assignment, a studio assignment, count the amounts uh, of articles written about the guy versus her. So there's all this stuff that's setting, you know, either female-led films or directed by women were set up to fail because you can only do so much. I mean, if you have to be a million times better in all aspects to make up for the lack of marketing and the lack of support, that's a tough role to play, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. You, you you point that out about journalism. I I come from a journalism background myself, actually, and I mean, I I can see it all the way. Um, you know, you, you follow the trades and such, and they'll occasionally put an overture out. But what bothers me is that I don't know the names of more female directors. That's something that frustrates me. Oh, I think you're not you're not alone there. You shouldn't feel guilty. I mean. We, we should try and figure out a way. And there's two people who've actually started these pin interest uh, uh, lists of female directors. But, I mean, I can barely name them and I'm in committees, you know, um, but we, because we don't hear about them. But we hear about every, uh, you know, C-list male writer. Uh, all of a sudden, this name is just pops into your consciousness and you've heard about them. And, you know, I go to meetings, I go to pitch meetings. I, I still, once in a while, I interview on movies, very rarely because I'm not really a fan of the feature world anymore. But you walk in there and I will mention five uh, female names and nothing. I um, go to these meetings on projects or pitch meetings. And <laughs> the funny thing was, this was actually a very cool executive in one meeting. But I had brought this list of tweets that I purposely collected asking the industry why it's important to have female um, voices and female directors. And I had brought this entire like sheet of hundreds of names that tweeted great things. And it was kind of part of my pitch because I pitched this female, this platform for female writers and directors. And one of the executives, a woman, and she's very cool, but she looked at the list and said, oh, Kevin, he's a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> and he literally was like one of three guys and there was no recognition of any woman and she laughed about it herself and I laughed about it but you know we want to change things but we're not ignorant that that I mean we ourselves can't name any names you know yeah you know I've been watching Orange is the New Black with Amanda and something that I've noticed is I've noticed how few female names are working on this show and it's so intensely from a female point of view but I'm like well, there's a few female writers, but almost all of these directors are men. Well, the, the TV episodes, I have to say, this is our big, I would say this is the one that hurts us the most. And it's, um, you know, I actually get upset talking about it because there's been women before me in the DGA, I mean, that have been doing this much longer and much more active. And they're fighting a very, very hard battle on that front because... 
I mean, you look at shows of stars, for example, like Plaque Sale or Magic City, No Woman, you know. Then they make a show called Outlander, which is actually, I would say, female-driven. It's based on this love story Scottish book. I would say 90% of readers of this book were women. First season, we look at it, one episode directed by a woman. And hmm. this constant, like, you know, uh, chanting of, well, we don't know where, where we get the women, That that is just a lie straight out and I think people should call them on it because there's 1400 women in the DGA that are qualified directors now by the way there's thousands of female directors who are not in the DGA who are equally qualified but just in terms of if you catch somebody really straight out line like you can't get into the DGA into the union without having done something that qualifies you to get in so you have to have been a director Otherwise, no chance of getting in the union. So what are these 1,400 women doing? You know, I mean, it's, it's, you can't tell me you've called all of them. And there's so many great qualified women in there. I mean, we tried as a joke because some woman from Portland tweeted me after that first blog in January. She, she said she, her, her kids has to have this favorite show called, I think it was called Kicking It or something like this about um, kids in a karate school. She said she noticed there's no barely any female writers and no female director and she doesn't want them to watch that unless they are um, and she read about me and that I used to be a karate champion and if I couldn't direct an episode and I thought it was very cute because she thought I actually had the power and I said well it doesn't work like that and she said well surely they don't usually have Oscar nominated filmmakers showing up wanting to direct after school kitty programs I'm like well you'd be surprised and so I had my managers just for kicks call these people and say I'm interested and nothing. I can't even get into the room with them, you know. <laughs> and this is a kid show about a karate school. And I mean, if there's one thing I know, if, if you're not even giving me credit for the fact that I actually make good movies, you know, I do know about karate. <laughs> Which yeah. I, I just have to note that is such an awesome thing to have in a person's background. I mean, yeah, it was um, it, it was kind of my life before I became a filmmaker. I mean, it wasn't kind of; it was my life. <laughs> and and I should note, uh, watching uh, Hooligans, it really showed up. I could tell the fights looked phenomenal, and there there was a real visceral physical quality to them that I really appreciated. Thank you. I I, I liked making that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it came through. It came through. I know nothing about that world, and I came away from it fascinated. Yeah, and I like to think I'm up on uh, a lot of British culture because you know I watch a lot of the. I watched uh, Spaced before it came out over here, and that's a show that's really heavy in British culture. I watched that and realized how uh, little I knew of just just that aspect of it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It filled in. It filled in some gaps of what I already knew. I, I liked that. I quite liked that. Yeah, I mean, people were, I remember we had a really good time at South by Southwest. Um, it played in the Alamo Draft House, which is a great place to watch a movie because, you know, I mean, especially this movie, because you can have a beer watching <laughs> watching that we, movie. It's a good, Kansas yeah. City just got one, and I absolutely love it there. 
Yeah, oh, amazing. So, um, yeah, and we had a good time there. I think it was the first film or one of the first films that ever won jury and audience award at the same time. Um, it very rarely happens. Now, here's another thing, you know. I mean, at the time, I didn't quite believe that, but my producer said there's, you know, because of what people had written after it premiered at South by Southwest and then winning the awards, she said, there's no way we're not getting an amazing distribution deal. And then we didn't. And then the producer said to me, you know what? We, we actually have to admit like this, we didn't, we, this wouldn't have happened had you not been a woman. And that's the first hmm. time I heard it. I was actually very unaware of what's going on until then. And then even then I pushed it out of my mind and I thought, well, I don't know. Hollywood is more about making money. I don't think they really care who the person is making the film. But then, you know, you look at certain statistics and you kind of compare careers um, and you start realizing, you know, there is, they, they probably think that the kind of Guy Ritchie guy stepping on a stage with a Brit film is a much better investment than, you know, a woman with the same type of movie. Um, so now I'm at the point where I'm thinking if I can not you know, live equality in my industry myself, I think we have to change it for, for the future generations, you know? Yeah. I, I, I certainly hope so because, I mean, this is a movie that I'm probably going to be putting in front of some, like, okay, as I said, I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. There's actually a very surprising contingent of football. Soccer? No, mate. For fuck's sake, stop saying soccer. True football fans in Arkansas. I was surprised by how many people are talking about the World Cup. And I feel like here's a movie that I can show these people and that they'll understand because maybe they don't know that direct culture, but they'll understand it. But mm -hmm. I mean, as you mentioned, the distribution was terrible on it. I wish I'd gotten to see this in a theater. I did. Oh, I mean, there's not a college in the country. I mean, I literally, I could be touring colleges for the rest of my life just based on that movie. The mm -hmm. amount of emails I get, um, I mean, this really turned into a cult. And let alone the fact that it inspired three sequels, which I had nothing to do with them. But still, you don't make a sequel <laughs> based on an unsuccessful film, you know. So everybody kind of knew what it was. But, you know, it, it it was what it was. It just never really, you know, it it just didn't find any support here. Had it, I, I really do believe, had it found the proper support, had they gotten behind it like, say, a Guy Ritchie project, and seriously, how many times does that guy get to fail upward? Yeah. That kind of, that kind of grates me. Um, so, of course, so many directors get to fail upward. Um, but, I mean, seriously, I look at this movie and... I think to myself, if this had gotten proper support, don't tell me that the American football fans here wouldn't have gone to see this movie, wouldn't have eaten it up because they would have been able to relate to it on some level. And again, I mentioned the action was so visceral. This should have been a hit. Yeah. Wasn't it? I know. I know. <laughs> and actually, after Punisher, I made the film that was kind of my... My, people call it my little Christian film, which it's not. I'm very much an, I would say, maybe maybe an atheist, more of an agnostic. I'm not religious at all. Um, but it's, you know, I think I was kind of shell-shocked because so many people in the papers wrote that I had this 
vicious, brutal fantasy that I should go to prison for. And of course, there were people who didn't know the comic book. And I shouldn't have taken it personal, but sometimes you read these things and you think, oh my God, maybe I am really the worst yeah. of this world scum and putting all this violence out there. And so I made this very sweet film that I really wanted to make. And then um, we screened that here. And to be honest, I didn't have really, um, you know, I mean, it was a very limited budget and I probably was quite arrogant about, you know, how, how far you can go with a limited budget. But in the end, it turned out, I mean, in terms of film quality, I would say it wasn't any worse than this movie Once from Ireland that I loved, you know, and it was very much in that genre of... Yeah, people singing. I mean, Once was great story-wise, and I wouldn't say Lifted was as good. I mean, Once was really something special. But in terms of, I mean, Once didn't have great cinematography. It didn't have great uh, production value or anything. It was really kind of a guerrilla-style movie. And in that terms, it was very similar. But it had the, it was about the story, not about the cinematography or anything. And we screened it here and people said, oh, Lexi, are you going soft on us? You know, what are you doing? Like, no, none of us like that. We're not going to distribute that. Ah. And I thought, okay. Um, and, and then I really thought, oh, uh, this time I probably did something I shouldn't have done. Like, I don't think people like this film. And it wasn't until months later somebody called me up and said, so guess what? Lifted is in the top 10 reviewed movies on Netflix as family movies and said, and by the way, check the Amazon reviews. And it was all these mega five star. I think if you pull up Amazon and go under family genre, you still um, see like in the top 50 or something like that in terms of reviewed films. That's wonderful. Nice. Yeah. yeah, but again, you know, that's not a good thing because that basically means, I mean, first of all, it, it's a failed movie in the sense of the financial aspect. Yeah. Um, the, the investors who didn't get their money back for a director it's very bad to have that kind of um you know bought no distribution going straight to video so yes the people like it and that's really why i wrote that piracy um blog yeah, is we because were... you know i would fare much better with peer-to-peer -peer. like if people if i wouldn't have gatekeepers and i could just make movies that people suggest me for <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of people from my previous uh, films that like previous films would like me to do i i would do so well you know and mm -hmm. so it's an interesting place for me to know that i can actually reach people but to not be able to get through the gatekeepers you know it, it is frustrating to see that it's like well all these people like it but you know i, I can imagine that would be extremely frustrating yeah and three times in a row i mean punisher was the same kind of situation you know i i, I get so annoyed because i will bring that movie up with with people um disclaimer that actually did not happen this morning i saw some guy wearing a shirt and i you know we were discussing the punisher films and he immediately was quick to say that yeah he loved warzone uh that that was a movie that oh so much did not go right i will say i did see that one in a theater i'm happy to say but oh I, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I got to see that one as it was meant to be seen because that thing was a theatrical film if I ever saw it. I wish I had seen that one in the theater instead of the 2004 version. I'm so sorry. I I absolutely hate the 2004 version. Yeah. You probably didn't know it was out in the theaters, correct? That's exactly right, actually. Like, yeah. Because yeah. it was 2008, wasn't it? That's uh, yeah. somewhere between Iron Man and Hulk. 
but also it came out in December. I mean, among oh, like terrible. It, it, it came, and I kept saying this is a bad move. But it came out in December, and it was like a week after Transporter. But Transport, it was Transporter Three or something. But Transporter had a had a following already. But in December, people go and watch Oscar films. You know that is not mm -hmm. the place to make this. You know what we did because we di we didn't have a uh, Dark Knight budget. You know or originally I was supposed to have thirty five million. I don't think it was ever more than twenty, maybe twenty two million. Try to make a comic book movie from that. So I what I said I looked at the comic book and I said you know what. We're just going to make this an ode to all the great 80s kind of, um, you know, the fun movies with the shoot-ups and everything, because that's kind of how the comic book read to me. And I yes. think that, yeah, people who dig that stuff totally got it. I mean, I don't know if you ever read Patton Oswalt's review of it. Oh, absolutely. Um, Huge uh, yeah, Patton Oswalt fan. He, yeah, he, you know, it's funny, I didn't know him before he read that review, and then we had coffee, and then he made this whole thing about the film going into his film festival, and there was this whole long after story, the film had such a long afterlife after that because of him, but that review kind of showed exactly what it was. It wasn't supposed to win awards, it was supposed to have people standing on their seat laughing out loud that somebody's head just got punched in. Right. Um, and that's the mood, and we never wanted to compete with Dark Knight. That was not our goal. And it's funny because had had people known, the right people who like it, had they known it was out there, they would have all come. But mm -hmm. So, yeah, this, this I'm, it's a touchy subject for me because had it happened once, maybe. But if it happens three times that people kind of confirm you not – you know, a hack, <laughs> and and yet, like the people who can actually, you know, give it a proper platform, like wave it off. That that's just starting to drive you crazy. You know. Yeah. It it would be very frustrating for me to be in that position. I I cannot imagine. And I mean, as I said, I I bring this film up to everybody, and what I almost always hear is, "Oh, I heard it wasn't all that good," and I'm like, "But you didn't see it." You heard wrong. By the way, there's people who hate it, and I see them always. I mean, I've I've I get the messages from them. There's people who absolutely hated it, and that's okay too because we knew we were making a film that people would either hate or love. I knew that there would be tons of people who would say that I never want to see that again. That was a waste of time. But they were not the people we were aiming at. You know, if you show me something like um, that kind of uh, horror or porn, like Saw or something like that, it's not, it. my kind, yeah. Yeah, it's not my kind of film. But I'm not going because I know what it is. But if you... If you're saying to me, well, this is like Captain America, but then I'm in the movie and it's Saw, but then I'm pissed. And th right. though the, a lot of people were like that. Like I, most of my friends, I, I say, oh, I don't think you should see Punisher Warzone. But then I have other friends who say, oh, you would really like Punisher Warzone. It was that kind of a movie. Right. For example, my wife's, I asked my wife once what the most disturbing movie she ever saw was. She was quick to say, oh, Ichi the Killer. I was like, yeah, there's nothing I'm not going to be able to recommend to you. <laughs> which i again i i don't bring this up to embarrass her i bring it up because it's just something i think is awesome but like that you know awesome. <laughs> you mentioned the 80s movies yeah i got a real james glickenhouse vibe from this uh and more importantly to me because i do know the comics huge ennis dylan vibe from it this felt like ennis and dylan put on the screen 
Thank you. I mean, me and my DP looked at this box of comic books that Marvel had sent us. And, you know, I was aware that Batman and Robin was a really bad um, experiment in trying to make (laughs) uh, something look like a comic book. But I was aware of how that was made. Also, nobody knows this, but for a couple of seconds, I am actually in Batman and Robin. Oh, wow. Cool. Very funny story where where um, they needed these, I, I don't even know, goons or gowls or something um, that did this this weapon um, that I was able to do, but nobody else. Um, it was this, this, the whip chain. And so I, because Pat Johnson, who did all the stunts, was one of my close friends, and he called me in and he said, I'm going to cast you as this gowl, and you have to teach the other guys the whip chain. And I did. And and we all looked the same. We had these eye contact lenses on. And so you couldn't really even tell that I'm a woman or not. And you couldn't tell us apart. But somehow, after a week or so, Joel Shoemaker fired me. I'm still not sure why. <laughs> I never even exchanged words with him. Jeez. And I was the one who taught the other boys. And Doug Hutchinson, who played the guy, the lead guy in that gaul group, we were in some kind of pool. I can't even remember what the script was. It was it had something to do with people hiding in a swimming pool type of arena. Come and get me, if you can. With pleasure. <laughs> Doug Hutchinson played... Um, the guy, the gang leader of our gang. And I remember how he sent me this beautiful card when I was fighting. He said, I hate when this happens in our business, when somebody gets fired for no reason. And just to let you know, you were replaced by some young guy who can't even do the whip chain. And I hope that doesn't, um, I hope that doesn't change your view on, on Hollywood. But it was the nicest thing. So when I did Punisher, I called him up and said, do you want to be LBJ? And he didn't even know who I was. <laughs> Oh. We, we didn't stay in touch so he had no idea that this young stunt woman kid that he rode a nice car to was directing now <laughs> well if it's any consolation Joel Schumacher has since apologized for Batman and Robin <laughs> well I think everybody has I think George Clooney is still apologizing but anyway back to back to the neon kind of thing we knew that this could go wrong but, you know, we didn't want to do any black light stuff. We just said, listen, let's take everything that this comic book speaks. And it was exactly, it was the Ennis, it was completely Gus Ennis style. Let's, let's see what this speaks to us and let's, let's put that on the screen as much as we can. And frankly, there was very little originality in there. I mean, the only thing I came up with was those uh, parkour guys and how they got shot. Which I cannot thank you enough for having done so. (laughs) That was was such a great laugh. I knew it would be a laugh because people started hating them so much. And that wasn't even that creative idea in that sense. Because when people tell you a million times how much they hate parkour guys in movies, that's kind of a given that at some point you'll shoot them. (laughs) So, um, but other than that, there was nothing. I really tried to, uh, you know, be truthful to the source material. That's it. I'll say right now, um, I, I unhesitatingly tell people, if you want to watch something that you will just have a rollicking good time with, as I said, I, I definitely know people who don't like the film, and I definitely respect their reasons, but me, I tell people, if you want to sit down and just have a gut-bustingly fun, 
action-packed time. This is a film that I recommend that's in like my top five. It's it's up there with Machete. Um, well, it's probably above Machete. <laughs> You know, does, uh, my question is: Does Amanda like it? <laughs> I have not yet shown it to her. That's the. Th There's only so much time that we have. We don't have much time off together, time wise. Yeah. I'm gonna make her watch it soon because I think she would enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah. You know, it depends. Like when um, when uh, Patton did that screening in L.A., which, by the way, all of a sudden we were we did this uh, podcast. How did this get made? Yeah, oh, we yes. are huge fans of that one. By the oh, way, I, I love mm -hmm. those guys, and it was so much fun. And then he said, "Okay, it's, the movie is going to play at the Deep End to the Darkness Festival," and people were standing around the block. I'm not kidding you. Mm, it was awesome. it was crazy. And but that was straight proof that marketing completely failed on that movie. And but I saw all these women and uh, to be honest and see, even I as a woman can can think very stereotypically. I said, oh, I'm not sure this is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and these women love this film. They were the ones laughing the loudest and knowing the most about the comic book. So, you know, we just still, you know, hooligans, by the way, had Queen Street hooligans. You know, it was women who followed the film around, hmm. um, not guys. I mean, they probably did it because of Charlie <laughs> or Elijah Wood. But <laughs> but still, they really enjoyed this movie. And so I think even I myself have to sometimes check my, you know, stereotype thinking. That's that's really interesting. I mean, I've, I, I've caught myself falling into that myself. Yeah. As I said, Amanda has been a great help on that because. I hate horror movies, and she is addicted to them, and so it winds up being a great education for me. And like, uh, you know, it's it's kind of worked both ways. I've gotten her into the comic book movies, and she's gotten me into the uh, into some horror films. We went to see The Exorcist a few years ago in theaters. That was awesome. Uh huh. Oh, that's but, amazing. Do you know a lot about uh, women in horror? Like, women uh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do a lot of research into it. Um. Fortunately, I've noticed that a lot of the horror websites really do try to talk about this. This is something that they seem pretty passionate about, actually. Yeah. At least some of the ones that I follow. I think there's some real movement there. I I kind of see them because people kind of group me with certain female horror directors in in these Twitter lists and groups, and so I I get kind of copied on them. And I know there's um, um the the Twisted Twins. I always We're be see watching that a movie. I'm sorry to interject, but we're going to yeah. be watching a movie by them for a cast later on this uh, summer. Oh, you should have them on the podcast, too. We might do that. We might I do bet they yeah. create. I just love everything they tweet. They're just oh, the nicest women. <laughs> they are fascinating in interviews. I, I've read their interviews. They're very entertaining. Yeah. But, I think they're fantastic. But anyway, there's real movement. And my friend Heidi Hanekat, she runs – she knows everything about women uh, in horror and uh, – she runs this festival uh, with Stacey Pippen called Etheria Film Festival. So I'll be judging their horror films. I'll let you know what I see and what's good. Oh, that's, that's, that sounds great. You know, honestly, the most hardcore horror fans that I know are women, hands down. Yeah. I remember I was very surprised when I learned that the director of American Psycho was a woman. Yeah, I know. Um, she's amazing, too. Now... See, in my opinion, after that movie, she should have been offered so many amazing movies, yes. you know. And also, like, I don't know if, if it could very well be that she just never uh, got interested in TV, but I don't think so because I actually saw her name on a few TV episodes. But see, you know, she's not busy. She clearly didn't have the career she should have had. 
why doesn't every TV show call her all the time? I mean, I feel like it's a star player who it's it, it's like it must have been back when black baseball player were still rare and you knew you had somebody in the town and he's better than any of the guys in major league and and so if you have a smaller a smaller league or smaller project and you know you can get the guy who's better than any any of these hacks that get hired on a regular basis because they're around why not reach out to them and that's what i don't understand like why would people not call mary heron all the time for every tv show you know, especially the Walking Deads and the, uh, oh, God, you know, yeah. in, in that genre. And she may have actually done one of those because I know that's Gail and her doing it. And she she does look actively for women. But, you know, uh, Walking Dead is not the only one. You guys probably know the other ones better than me. And it doesn't only have to be horror. American Psych was so much more than horror. You Satire know? at its best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my opinion, she should work nonstop. And if the features are just not reaching out, then there's no excuse for TV not reaching out. But unfortunately, um, TV is where we have the biggest problem. You know, I mean, I, I really feel like right now we're in such a great era for uh, television in terms of creative work. And that is what's so frustrating. You know, you mentioned directors who should have gotten hired. I'll tell you, it's killing me that I'm not able, that I'm not able to think of the woman's last name right now, the director of Winner's Bone. I've been wondering, what's she going to do next after this? Yeah, I can't see. I can't think of her either, even though I've written her at least on 10 lists lately, because I'm now make this point of asking in meetings with executives of what they have and if they have a female director for it. And, 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 you know, they're like, well, are you volunteering? And I, you know, I'm sometimes it's a movie out of my league, like a genre I haven't tapped into. Like, for example, there was a comedy movie that was kind of written from somebody in Judd Apatow's camp. And they really wanted a female director and they only had two names on the list. So I say, I don't do comedy. I'm German. <laughs> but but I, I can give you ten names. And so her I've written and I think it's something like, oh, De- my God, I'm Deborah, killing. Deborah Granick. Thank you. Yes. Deborah Granick. Thank you. I, I was going to say Dana Trenick, um, and I wasn't going to mess up her name. So now I did it anyway. But, <laughs> you know, you, you're right. We don't they don't become they don't become names like the guy's names. But she is. So amazing, isn't she? The Winter's Bone is one of those movies that it's another one that I just tell people. It's on Netflix, and I tell them what I always tell people is, "Did you like the Hunger Games? Here, this is like a uh, this has so much in common with that, even beyond Jennifer Lawrence being in the lead. Watch this; you'll love it, and they do. Yeah, and you know it frustrates me because who cast Jennifer Lawrence in that kind of a role? I mean, that movie was what got Jennifer Lawrence the Hunger Games movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, are we not ever ever going to talk about the fact that there was a female director? And then I have my issues with young adult movies anyway, because, you know, Thanks. Catherine Hardwick turned Twilight into what it was. And you can hate it or like it, but it made a shitload of money. You know, you're right. Hardwick was probably the only one to direct uh, a movie in that series that actually looked any good and had any real life to it although yes i'm not a fan i well, but you're right i mean it is crazy because all these young adult movies are based on young adult books that are usually written by women so yeah it's insane it doesn't make any sense to me well and not only that they're mostly actually read by women as well and so it's just funny how you know, I remember when Twilight was a script and I remember yelling at my agents uh, after somebody was, um, after Catherine was hired. 
I said, why didn't I go out on that movie? I love these books because I've always read this genre book. Uh, you know, I have to say that that wasn't necessarily my favorite of the vampire kind of young adult books. But still, I was one of the first one to read it and say and think to myself, oh, this is going to be big, you know. And so I would have totally gone in and interviewed for that. And I remember my agent saying to me, you know, we all, we didn't know what this was. We don't think this is going to be pretty big. Nobody, none of the clients, none of the clients wanted to go on there. And by the way, a lot of agents will admit that, that nobody knew what this was. It was just young teenagers as vampires. I mean, and if you imagine, if you've not read the books and you don't know the books are big, the script probably doesn't strike you as a genius script if you think about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, they kind of written it off and they also thought Alexi's never going to go in on this. But then I watched this happening and I think, oh, good. Well, Catherine will do a good job and she will turn this into a big thing. So YA becomes a big thing. And then YA becomes a big thing. And the next thing you know, you see no woman directing any of it. Hmm. I mean, to me, there's a bigger outrage there than when Marvel doesn't hire any women, you know? You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because as soon as Hardwick left, like, I mean, it, well, she, she didn't leave. She was kicked off, uh, to, say, to be clear. Yeah, uh, I agree. And you just – you look at it and then the, immediately they were like – they scrounged and they found a director whose previous film was an enormous flop. Thank you. I agree. That you know, is... I hate talking shit about my male colleagues because it's not like I want to bring them down. But right. sometimes the decisions are out of the world. Like they are so outrageous that I don't even know how this can happen in America, you know? Well, I don't try to talk uh, down on quality. I'm talking on raw numbers, uh, the film tanked. Uh, that's, that's, that, you know, you, you cited some films in your, uh, it was a quote from Forbes, I believe. Uh, in the piracy piece about these movies that were flopping. And I looked at these films on the paper, and only one of them made any sense to me as a greenlit project. And that was Green Lantern, only because I'm a comic book fan. And even if I stepped back and thought about that, I mean, they lost $30 million on a film on bird watching. <laughs> yeah. And David Frankel kept working. Yeah, and by the way, um, uh, you know, my husband is a is a first AD, and he happened to get that bird watching script, and that he said it was the best script he ever read. So hmm. uh, we were all looking forward to this movie, and there was also a completely different cast attached to it originally. And then something happened. Now, what exactly happened is a mystery, but it went literally hmm. from the best script that everybody wanted to be in business with to the worst piece of shit on the planet. Rewrites. Um, oh man. And yeah, and who, who knows? I mean, listen, I've been in the system where suddenly somebody has something to say and you like, well, wait a minute. He, he's not really, you know, he, he doesn't have the requirements to know story notes, but maybe he's given some money or he's the foreign sales person. Who knows? Sometimes a project suffers from too many cooks. Um, you never know. It's, it might, sometimes it's not the director's fault. Oftentimes it is. But you're absolutely right. Like to to replace Ka Catherine Hardwick with somebody who has just failed one of the biggest young adult movies. Imagine that happening for a woman. The, uh, imagine it the other way around. You have Harry Potter. Chris Columbus delivers two amazing first ones, and now on the third one, they hire a woman who's just tanked a massive YA um, property. W would never happen ever. No, I mean in that case, they went to Alfonso Cuarón. I mean. And by the way, he was very prestigious. It was an unusual choice, but he was 
it wasn't like he just came from something that well, tanked, you know. Well, that's my point. He was coming off of uh, Yitamama Tambien at that point. So he was in a really great place in his career. They wouldn't do that on Harry Potter. Um, you know, I look at the Hunger Games where, okay, Gary Ross left and they went to Francis Lawrence, who was coming off of Water for Elephants, which did fairly well. And I Am Legend. Yeah, you're right. They wouldn't do it. Yeah. So, I mean, but I know why that happened. I, there's, they actually friends, that director and that executive in charge are friends and he hated Catherine. So it was a whole thing, but you know, it's tough, you know, I mean, imagine back in high school when you have your group of jocks and they all love each other and they all kind of take care of each other. And then these guys all step into one industry and they take care of each other. And even though they don't, in our industry, they don't necessarily look like a jock. <laughs> They're all geeks that have become successful in a sense, you know, but it's like that frat mentality where they take well care of each other. It just is what it is, you know? Yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, I, I did want to shift a little bit to the piracy article because as I said, I read it. And I could not agree more with what you said in it. Um, you know, one thing you brought up is the fact that sometimes you can't get a hold of the material. The the digital rights, the rights being strewn across the world. That drives me nuts. It's the most pathetic thing on the planet, okay? Because you, it, it's like, I, I can't even describe it. It's like trying to keep people in, in borders, but you don't even have proper guards and there's no reason to keep them in, in borders because there's no dictator but you're just saying you all need to be just in here and wait until you get served right. and people are like no who are you to tell me when i can watch this swedish british show or whatever also i don't want to watch the world cup with either an american or a, an english commentator <laughs> one doesn't know what he's saying and the other one is sounding too way too cocky and too much like he knows what he's saying i want to watch it with a german commentator and and for that i could actually go into prison imagine that you know and so there's all these and constantly i mean i go to germany and you try to go on google.com or on amazon.com or on any site that has also a european version and it will aggressively try to reroute you back to the fucking website it wants you to be and i'm thinking to myself Okay, now you're making an asshole out of yourself because right. I, I'm just going to Google some smart kid who's come up with a way to outsmart you, which they all do. And that's the funniest part of it all. They're all smarter, which makes me so happy. What's, what's really funny is that they just released uh, the final episode of the IT Crowd, a uh, British sitcom. And I, you know, Graham Linehan, the creator, sent out a, t a tweet about you know where you could see it it's on the channel four site the bbc four site and uh, oh i deal with that site all the time uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like you can't you can't watch this because you're not in britain it's like oh great so i tweeted back it's like i'm in america i can't watch it he's like have you tried he the creator of the show he has given me... you the app fireball yes. probably right he, he actually gave me tunnel bear Oh, cool. it's like very a... funny. Well, they've and by the way, BBC iPlayer and Channel Four, like also, they're making idiots out themselves because yes. they 
And this is not necessarily, I would have not tried to aggressively watch British TV, but I'm married to a Brit. So <laughs> he wants to watch his damn, you know, quiz shows and whatever the, the top gear shows when they come. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you're just homesick. Sometimes you just want to see something from home. And by the way, that counts for Americans who live over there as well. And it's not possible. Why? Why? But then they come up with these aggressive ways of trying to block you. And it's just hilarious because have you not noticed that you can never hire enough people to outsmart the smartest kid in the hacker community? It's, it's just not possible. It's just like Ubisoft releasing a uh, game for PlayStation 3 saying, oh yeah, we just released the most uncrackable DRM ever. And then the next day somebody cracks it. Yeah, I know. And by the way, I mean, I actually love seeing that. That's why I made that example with Messi, the, the football player, because there's certain players that just like you can't reach them. And you, there's five, you know, defense players trying to attack him and he still dances through. And that's to me, that's what these young hackers are doing. And I'm rooting for them because also they saved my behind many times. There's times where I have to go in on a meeting to talk about something and only the day before I find out, oh my God, there's already been a movie made on this issue or a documentary or a TV show, but now I can't get my hands on it. But I'm going to embarrass myself tomorrow because I'm sure it's going to come up. <laughs> and, you know, some of the, and this is also, there's a class different in Hollywood because, you know, some of the richer directors and the creators, you know, they have at a certain point, they have three assistants and they'll tell them, look, you know, uh, you know, they don't even have to tell them, you know, they have to schedule for their meetings. They know the assistants know what the meeting is about. And if that assistant doesn't get all the material that's relevant, no matter what ways, he'll be fired. So he knows, he or she, they know they have to get the stuff. So that's when it becomes to the people, the general public doesn't know that, but there's a huge class difference when it comes to the resources a director has. I heard that Gary, I mean, I don't know if that's a rumor, if that's true, but um, the person who told me actually is very, very close to the project. So I'm assuming it's true. But when Gary Ross went into interview for uh, the Hunger Games, because he really wanted to direct that movie because his kids love the books. I mean, he came in with a very, very, I heard $80,000. I'm not sure that's true, but with a very expensive presentation. Us on the on the indie level here, we're not going to spend any $80,000 on one interview for a film. It's not possible, you know. So, but that's what we're dealing with here. And so these guys, the assistants have to find this stuff and I have to do it myself. I always look on iTunes, on Amazon Instant. And by the way, I'm right. paying for a million things. Right. Uh, I even have my husband's family send us iTunes card from England so right. that we can do all of that. But if it's not there, I'm going to fucking pirate it. End of story. And it's your fault that you can't sell it to me. Mm -hmm. You know, if I may jump in here, I uh, what I do for my research for this is I'm in kind of a similar situation. There's one video store in Little Rock total, mm -hmm. and I, I do try to use them. The only thing that's really allowing me to do this podcast half the time is what's on Netflix. And against all odds, we have the most phenomenal library system in Little Rock that has every DVD I could ever possibly want – if if I want a movie, I can find it, which is the case for uh, 
this cast, I, I actually was able to get hooligans via the library. But if I can't do that, I'm in the same situation. I'll go on YouTube. I'll go on one of those sites. You got to do what you got to do. Oh, yeah. I, now I've actually learned how to use them because now I'm actually <laughs> – now it's just – it's a protest, in my opinion, and that's why I've finally spoken out about it, because I'm also mad that they've spent all these millions, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. By the way, a bill, that SOPA bill, which they failed to put through. But, yes. I mean, you know, let's not even talk about world hunger and all the things we could be solving with this. If you're just trying to look at your own industry, which I know in a bigger sense is not that important, but we have issues here, uh, you know, fairness issues, discrimination issues. And it's not only about fairness. People actually have said that Hollywood could be making much more money if they would be serving a broader audience. Why not solve these problems instead of spending half a billion on, on this bullshit, you know, that mm -hmm. you can't beat anyway because they will always outsmart you. And the other thing is they're hiring all these old people to fight piracy that have no, I mean, it's tough for me. I'm, I guess, considered generation in between generation X and Y. And I didn't grow up with a computer, but obviously, you know, uh, you know, I had one when I was young. So I'm not like a young hacker, but I know enough and I educate myself. But uh, there's a lot of people like older than me who know nothing. I mean, they complain about people who tweet. And those are the people who will fight piracy. And that's just hilarious to me. That's like taking millions of dollars and throwing them out the window and nowhere to be seen again. And it's just not right. We could use this money for many other things, including funds for underserved filmmakers. Absolutely. It, it, it is ridiculous because – and the key is you're not going to get those young people that know about the technology – People my age who actually know the technology, who actually have gotten our hands on it, we're not going to fight this because we've been raised on it. I was 16 when the whole Napster thing hit. I was 13. I was I was on that. We knew all about it. It was what we were raised in. I was 13 when I first heard of an MP3, and I should note I actually don't do that much anymore because I have satellite radio in my car. But, I mean, I was 13 when I did it. Our generation, that's what we know. That's our normal. So we're not Yeah, exactly. Fight. And by the way, there's a reason. I mean, you, you'd think that you don't have a DVD store in Hollywood. We do, I don't know where to go. We used to have a couple of places, but now it's like, you know, I mean, there's been times where I go to Target to see if by any chance there is the specific DVD that I'm looking for, which, you know, if you know Target, that's total crack shot. Like they have some and others they don't. There's no, there used to be an Amoeba. Maybe that's still there. But I mean, the, again, there's not like it used to be there's one store where you can pretty much find something for sure. Like, you know, it's. It's just, or I have to go to the very other side of town, and uh, there is, I think, one specialized one, but even that person can't have everything. So the whole notion, they've all, so many of them shut down, you know? So, I mean, somewhere we have to get our product, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting, because I really kind of have this feeling that the industry, if they want to look at a mistake that they've made, I kind of have the feeling that because they've pushed so hard for digital that they've kind of created this for themselves because yeah. they've taken it away. They've taken away our options. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah, I know. I mean, they're idiotic most of the time because they all run by, you know, there's a thing about failing up. That doesn't only happen with directors. I think it actually happens less with directors than with executives. Like if you yes. would actually meet 
the people who I have to meet, who are in charge and who give you notes. I mean, not all of them. You'll find some really great geniuses in our, but there's a lot of, and by the way, deadline, when Nikki Finke was still on deadline, she used to call them out on a regular basis with all the stats and numbers of how somebody would fail a company. And still that person would, you know, not get fired. And if they did, they had this parachute situation uh, wait for them. You know, I just found out the other day what a pot deal is. I didn't even realize. I knew people were talking about pot deals, but I didn't know what they were. And I found out that pot deals are for uh, these non-writing TV producers. But actually, they former executives, uh, like when former TV executives who don't really know how to write, when they get fired, they get these pot deals, which they basically paid to find people like me who have ideas for TV shows. Mm -hmm. And they get this over, you know, they have overhead money, they get money for their rent and for their employers. And they basically, for no skill whatsoever, they already failed at being an executive. Um, mm -hmm. But somehow there is this net that catches them. And, you know, then they try to find people like me because they can't have ideas themselves. And by the way, oftentimes people like me have to work with them to get into certain meetings. And sometimes I have producing relationships that great, but others are, you know, I mean, everybody wants to give notes, but I mean, either you trust me or not. I mean, clearly you want to be in business with me because I had this idea. If you're now changing it to something else, it's kind of defeats the purpose, you know, but the whole, the whole system is, is kind of like wall street really, you know? Yeah. I'm, I, I can tell I'm, I'm getting a very, I'm reminded so much. I read uh, the great uh, conspiracy of fools uh, on Enron and I'm, having some flashbacks today. Oh, I, you know, every time I see these industries, I think that we're not talking about Hollywood in that manner because, you know, number one, it, they have great PR because we're supposed to be all these liberals, these hardcore, we put Obama in the office and we gave them all this money and Clooney has Obama over for dinner three times a year and the whole town shuts down. And, you know, we're, we're supposed to be lefties, um, you know, people on on the right side of civil rights but that's not really correct you know why then do we have such minimum percentage like why do we not have more diverse filmmakers why are the numbers so bad i mean are we saying they're really too dumb to solve it or is it that they don't want to solve it because if they don't want to solve it i don't know what business they have bitching about republicans but that's the deal. But it, they look good. They have this great image. And every time there is a black filmmaker, we put him on a pedestal and he's on every cover. And if there is a Catherine Bigelow, we make a huge deal about her. And those two people will then forever kind of put fog over the rest of the numbers. It's, it's a great show they're putting on. It is frustrating. I mean, you mentioned black filmmakers. I can't help but notice that over and over again, I look at what happened with John Singleton and his career, and it, it kind of has to make me a little bit ugh yeah. about how they handle that. Because I look at how much promise and how he exploded out of the gate with such a unique, interesting voice, and what his last movie was, Abduction. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you know, it's very interesting because he he actually spoke out for the first time in the you know, I have this feeling, and this has happened to me before Punisher, is that people like him and I, we pitch a certain movie and and think that, well, we're supposed to be hot directors, which I was considered to be after Queen Street. So we pitch these 
projects and we develop them that we think they want to hear from us because clearly we don't look like the rest of the guys and they make a certain type of fare. So let me do this and let me pitch that. But then, you know, these projects get shut down. And at a certain point, you have to make money as a filmmaker, you know. So you have people like John Singleton or myself or, you know, any of the uh, young, diverse thing. And you you think, oh, maybe they're going to serve us with something as great as they've broken out with. But if those projects are shut down, we end up making the Punishers of this world. Now, you happen to be Punisher fans, but I'm very open about the fact that that's not a project I would have chosen as my first project after Green Street. There's just been two years of attached to project that didn't go, writing scripts that I sold but didn't make it on screen. Um, there's a whole history that people don't understand. Um, and so you end up, and John Singleton is not probably he's probably not getting a lot of films that he would want to have i mean there's a famous story about how my agent at caa at the time called me up and said we don't need to look anymore i have the perfect movie for you this is what you're going to do there's nobody more perfect than you for it and it was a million dollar baby and i said oh i i read it i'm like yeah you're right there is nobody more perfect than <laughs> and then of course clint eastwood made the film and you kind of go like well does he know about does he know more about women uh, and boxing than me? No. He may know more about filmmaking. You know, is he the right guy to direct this project? Well, he won an Oscar for it and everybody else won an Oscar. So he clearly was. But see what I'm saying? Like for the, for the few films that are these prestige projects, there's huge competition. So John Singleton was probably up for at least 10 or 20 of them uh, that didn't go. And then he took what he could, you know. Poor guy. Uh, that's, you know, now, of course, I'm going to be picturing in my head your version of that story because that's that's a film that I quite loved. And now I'm really going to be picturing this because he did a good job. I have to say he did a good job. Of course, you know, everybody looked at me as, you know, I had just done Johnny Flinton. That's how I broke into the business. It was about a boxer. It was nominated. It was actually much more like a feature film. Actually, it was like a TV episode of drama I, because it was 40 minutes, you know. I actually just watched it about a couple hours ago. It's really good. Well, it's, when you watch it on the, it, it really was a, you know, we wanted it to be on the big screen. It's kind of hard when people watch it on these small <laughs> internet yeah. things, but you still get the gist. And it's, you know, it's older now. It's a few years old, you know. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, that's what made me sign with CAA. And of course, you kind of think, I'm, I think my agent was right. I would have been, had Clint Eastwood not been available. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a good choice for it. But I would say that after Clint, there were probably 20 other guys trying to get that job. It was always like that, you know, I, even if I'm perfect for it. I mean, I don't know if you heard about that whole Expendables saga. Oh, yes, the Expendables. Yeah. When I heard that that project was up, yours was the first name. I was like, oh, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, we you know, this is a perfect, I haven't talked about this, so people okay. have tried to get me to talk about this forever, and I haven't, because it kind of went, you know, this was before I found the courage to be that truthful in my blog, and I tried to be truthful with sarcasm, which... You know, I have a certain type of sarcasm. I think it's very German or British. You can sometimes people get it, sometimes they don't get it. I realized that, you know, sarcasm doesn't really on print. It's rough because a lot of people thought the story I was telling was the real true thing. And they didn't see what I was trying to do there. 
what happened was the uh, all of a sudden this news comes out from the head of Millennium Films that there's a female version of the Expendables and they will find a female director. And suddenly my phone blows up because there's all these tweets and Google alerts because everybody, and, and by the way, I mean, logically, because there really isn't anybody else in terms of what's on their resume. I mean, I think there's a couple who could do it as well, but there's nobody who's done movies like Queen Street and Punisher. And so I knew this would blow up even more. All these blogs put me forward. And then I looked into it and I saw that the executive is a guy who literally has hated me before he knew me. Oh this goes so far back that at this, I was this young thing with this Oscar-nominated short film. I had just signed my first agent at CAA. This agent calls up everybody and says, you have to meet this young female filmmaker. She made this film about a boxer. Everybody pretty much said, send me the film. They watched the film and they said, yes, I want to meet her. That was my first round in Hollywood, except Mark Gill. Mark Gill said, I don't get this fucking film <laughs> and I don't get her. So that's how our relationship started. And then there was a couple, I think they came to the screening of Queen Street to consider if they would distribute it. He said, no, I wasn't surprised about it. I can't even remember shaking hands with him, but that must have happened because I had a friend who worked for him. Um, so, I, But that's my extent. And when my manager called him up to say, so everybody's talking about Lexi and Expendables, do you want to send a script? He started screaming at her and said, over my dead body, never, she has the worst reputation, she's the worst human being. This is, uh, by the way, somebody who's had more failures uh, on, I mean, the only successful thing he ever did is he picked up a Penguin movie from France. <laughs> the end. Okay, <laughs> nothing else successful is on this guy's resume. He certainly doesn't know more about women kicking ass than I do. No way, which is why I wrote that sarcastic kind of dialogue. <laughs> but that's it. And for somebody to have never met me and not even be like considered a genius, like everybody pretty much in the business thinks he's an idiot, for somebody to react like that to me and get away with it. And then comes the best thing, because then I actually, I did get the script before he started screaming at my manager. And I read the script and I think, oh, this is really, really bad. But I don't say anything publicly because the writers are two women and I don't want to embarrass them. It's hard enough for women. I said, I'm not going to be one who bitches about them. Mind you, the minute they heard about me, they started totally catfighting me with that, <laughs> which I thought, oh, well, that, that comes in handy, you know. But it, the script was about prostitutes who are also, you know, mercenaries. That was unnecessary. And oh I'm thinking, God. I know, I'm thinking, well, let's just see what women they get to do, what women they, they find to do this movie. Because now I'm thinking if you publicly declared you're absolutely going to hire a female director, you can't get away with hiring a male, right? I mean, right? That, that's what I thought. In theory. Yeah. In theory. And out comes the announcement that it's Robert Lukitic. I didn't know if I should laugh or cry. I thought that was the, I, I mean, I thought it was, you couldn't become more outrageous when you tried. <laughs> no. Right. And, and, you know, you mentioned that premise. When I heard that premise. Sucker punch. Oh, my God. That is yeah. sucker punch. Yeah, I, just, I know. I just about fell on the floor laughing because that sounded like the most misogynistic piece of garbage that I could imagine. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. And again, even now, after they kind of were not as courteous, I still feel bad talking about two female rights because I'm unclear what happened. I can't see two women write stuff like that without 
any specific nodes because it makes no sense, you know. I mean, and, why would we decorate ourselves? But who knows, you know. And, and they've done a couple of good scripts before, I, I, I want to say. Um, and you mentioned Luketic. There's another example. Killers. Did anybody see the uh, box office totals on that one? And then that's that. I mean, I, again, like, I don't want to be the one hitting other directors over the head because I had my own box office failure. But... Mm -hmm. I actually know that he only said yes because he's in director's jail. He actually considers himself in director's jail. So that's why he says yes. And to me, now, I would have never done Expandables, I think, even with a better script. I think it's, it's not what I want to do. I want to go back to either I'll find a Green Street type of film that's kind of my baby and I want to do it and it's in a good budget, or I will only make TV. I will not be in that $20 million, $30 million uh, feature thing anymore at all not even with a good script because I think the model is broken but that's beside the outrageousness I feel the, the, the anger I feel that a guy in directing chair who only and by the way Mark Gill must know this the people who make this film must know this a guy who only says yes because he unfortunately can't get anything else at the moment is still better than a woman who really wants to do this that to me is just the saddest thing that has ever happened in Hollywood mm -hmm. I feel like that story alone sums up so much of what you've been talking about you said it absolutely right that story is everything it's a perfect ex example of what goes on. And I don't know, frankly, I mean, I don't think we can change it from the inside because America is not, you know, in, in all the European countries, we have these governmental funds for films and they have to be gender equal. Now, interestingly, what we're trying to get the EEOC and the ACLU to look into is that there's actually a lot of government funding going into studios as well may it be through local tax breaks, but even like if you go and look on this um, search engine that shows um, defend contractors, the, you know, all the studios are there. So uh, there was actually long ago a lawsuit by um, uh, Warner Brothers, and they actually said, well, a studio who sells DVDs or streaming services or anything on basis or to the military is considered a defense contractor. And in that case, you can't actually discriminate, you know. So we're trying to have them look into it and see if we can get it a little bit more towards what the Europeans doing, which is they can't just give 95% of money to men. It's uh, white men. It, it's just not possible. So we'll see if that happens. But other than that, the answer lies really with you guys, you know. I mean, it really takes a kind of organized, film buffs, film fans, you know, people are out there on the podcast, on Twitter to say, look, unless, you know, we stop going to these things if we're pissed off, we, nothing's going to change. Right. I, I, I think you're right. I, I think you're, you're really right. And as I said, we'll be going, we, the two of us are glad to beat the band. Uh, this is something that we feel very passionate about. As I said, we have at least one more cast coming up this summer where we are going to uh, reteam with Beck and we are going to uh, discuss American Mary and uh, Sucker Punch. We're going to watch both of them and do a compare and contrast. You know, w this is something we're passionate about and we, we won't shut up about it. Oh, absolutely not, no. Yeah. 
I know. Thank you, guys. We, I'm. That's that's my big hope. You know, I've uh, the piracy post was so popular. I guess it spread fairly far that I've actually gotten a few calls and had a few meetings with uh, kind of alternative distributors. A lot of them are kind of uh, startups, Silicon Valley startups, but that have to do with investment in film. And it's funny. I can't quite figure out how that would work because the distribution issue is such a the theatrical distribution is a is a whole other issue which you know as you know this I'm, I'm not sure in your town but you know some people don't have five movie theaters and if you only have one they'll only play a certain amount of movie and even that whole system is corrupt because the bigger movies kick the smaller movies out of the movie theater so you know, I'm trying to figure out besides, you know, organizing the fans and saying, look, stand up for what you believe in is also saying, is there another way of doing this? Uh, it's, it's funny you should say that in Little Rock this week, uh, there will be a uh, a theater opening and it's uh, going to be five screens, quote unquote, art house fair, and then five screens you know, the top quality of the mainstream fare, not just the automatic blockbusters, but what adult targeted movies come out. I realize that's a small number. And they're going to try and they try to provide a venue for that. It was formerly the Market Street uh, in Little Rock was what they were called. And there'll be the Riverdale 10. And that's very much their model is that they're trying to provide this voice for outsiders. You know, I got to look. I do. I have to do some research on this. I try to read up on a couple of articles about theatrical distribution and it's very confusing because on the one hand, it seems almost to be like an organized crime ring of like, the, you know, this is we, we only let you do this. And if if you go out on VOD on the same day, we will never have your movie again. Uh, and then on the other hand, though, I think that maybe maybe it's the studio strong arming them. I have not seen clearly on what is going on there. Hmm. I, I do want to look in there because I think that. I, I feel like we need to understand more about theatrical distribution. All I know is that a lot of great films don't get theatrical distribution. I really and I want to know who's guilty of that. The, uh, the, the theater that I mentioned here, because they're the reason that they're able to do that is because they are independently owned. They're outside of the Cinemarks and the Regals. They're an independent theater. It, it See, really... that's what it is, the independent theaters. And I've heard of a few of those. But then I think they have they run into problems of not getting certain films because mm -hmm. I, I think there's a major kind of dodgy business going on. It would be – you should interview that guy because <laughs> i You know, we, we should. That that would be something. I, yeah. As I mentioned, I, I just have to pause for a moment and say how much I enjoyed the uh, – anti-journalist uh, thread running through hooligans. He's a fucking undercover journal. Nah, bollocks. Because I work at a newspaper. so. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. I'm a page designer uh, for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and I greatly enjoyed that thread. Well, you know, I'm actually not anti-journalist. I have of kind course. of a weakness for for uh, journalists, especially like in – I mean, my favorite movie was um, The Insider. Um, mm, good one. with good Russell Crowe, you know, and the whole thing about the 60 minute guy. And I, I'm, 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 I'm very big on, you know, investigative journalism and people like getting threatened and whistleblower type of stories, you know. So, um, but in terms of hooligans, the journalist was always kind of an enemy in the, they just didn't want them around, you know, <laughs> I believe that, but I'm just saying I enjoyed, I, I, I got a lot of laughs out of that and I found that really entertaining. Yeah, I know it's true. That was kind of, and it's so true to life too. Oh, I believe um, that. 
but yeah, we should we should definitely look into. Um, I'd be so interested to to hear what that guy from the new independent movie theater has to say because I think that's a business we as fans uh, and even as independent filmmakers don't quite understand. You know, I had this conversation. Somebody offered me an action film, and it's a team of producers. They uh, four guys, and I like them very much. And for four guys to offer me an action movie that was really kind of a hardcore action film, kind of set in an environmental post-apocalyptic, although they call it mid-apocalyptic uh, situation. Mm. It was a really good script, and they really urged me to say yes to this. And I said, you know, I I can't because. I don't see this movie getting U.S. domestic distribution and it may get sold in foreign countries because they had this great foreign uh, sales agent. But I don't think it's going to land in the theater here because the, the system is just not set up for that. Those who make these type of movies have their own. When they buy uh, other movies as distribution pickup, it's usually these small little foreign films, you know, or these Sundance films. But they're not set up to buy a $20 million action film and distribute it. And I don't think they see why they should. So a lot of these films, you know, they kind of land on straight to DVD, but, you know, more out of necessity than by quality. So I think that's something we have to look into more. You know, who decides who gets in the theater? Yeah. Yeah. Because it is a rich system that you have there. Uh, you know, you compared it to... Uh... I will be honest, you're comparing it to organized crime. Well, first of all, back in the early days of distribution, it literally was uh, to a great degree. And I, I think that all of my research, because I've done extensive research into the topic because I'm fascinated by it, does suggest, yeah, you, you pretty much nailed it. It's a cabal. It's it's weird because, you know, back in the day, way back in the day, uh, the studios used to own the theaters. They still uh, do. Yeah, and they still do in some ways. The MPAA kind of controls, you know, what goes in there. Well, see, that's why I hate the MPAA. Yeah. I think I have to, I really have to start, you know, being more public about that. Although, mm -hmm. if I do get run over by a car, you know <laughs> who it was. Um, but, yeah, I um, I agree with you there. But, you know, it's a tough one because I, I think we're actually at a point, and especially you, you guys are clearly the the mp3 uh, generation <laughs> um you know we 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 do stream the problem is and this is what i have with these companies that contacted me and all of them have offered me some type of partnership with them i don't get vod yet because how, first of all if you just send out everything then it becomes youtube it's a jungle how do i know which cat video is the greatest video and which one goes viral and how many cat videos actually are there? There's so much out there. And so if you do films like that and everybody just goes out and everything gets distributed because it's on VOD, how do I let people know um, that mine is actually not just, you know, shit? You know, right. like how can we separate? And it's going to be difficult because there's not going to be only established directors and you can go by their reputation because there's going to be somebody new and he or she are going to be amazing and they have an amazing film. But how do you know that if there's 10,000 on your little box, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I feel like theatrical distribution has always given us this pedestal. Like if something is out there and it stays out there, it's kind of like my big fat Greek wedding. It had this word of mouth and which that movie we had gone nowhere had Tom Hanks not signed on and Rita Wilson and right. had they not given it the time to develop word of mouth, you know, 
But that kind of thing, like who does that for us now? It's really kind of a question of marketing. So I don't know if I'm waiting for people like you really <laughs> to come up with a genius idea because no matter how much we bitch about theatrical distribution and MPAA and the studios, I don't think anybody on the other side has come up uh, with a solution either. And if I may just interject this thought, personally, I don't like watching movies at home the same way I like watching movies in the theater. I'm a theatrical purist. It's not. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to be honest with you. I see it different, but that's because I've been in too many overcrowded um, movie theaters. Here's the thing about it. There's one movie theater here called the Arclight. Yeah. Um, oh, yes. And they charge a lot of money, and sometimes they even have alcohol in special screenings. And, you know, because the ticket is so expensive, people tend not to bring their toddler child to a you know, R-rated movie, which in many, all of the other movie theaters in L.A., you'll end up having somebody speak on their cell phone or somebody has a baby screaming. I mean, it's everywhere. There's no courtesy there other than the Arclight. The Arclight is very expensive, and even in something like that, just the bad popcorn, there's nothing there that says to me, I'm going to have a better time than on my big screen TV with my surround system where I can pour my own drinks. <laughs> now, the Draft House always was an expense. The Draft House, and that's much more European. When you can sit with a bunch of people, like if I sit in a whole room full of comic book fans and we can watch the same movie and we drink whatever comic book fans drink and in that I can see it becomes a thing. But it's not like that out there, is it? No. In fact, you mentioned the Screaming Kids. The worst movie going experience I ever had was I went to see Kill Bill Volume 1 at a, a dollar theater in Little Rock and there were kids running all around through that movie, and I'm just sitting there going, this is the worst movie you could have possibly taken these kids to go see. I agree, and they do it all the time. I mean, here they really do it all the time. And, you know, I don't think the theater actually serves us a lot of great stuff anymore. To me, uh, just because of the atmosphere on many films, especially on films like, let's say, Winter's Bone, I love watching it at home more than I love watching it in the theater. I can see how that would be true. I, yeah. I admit my system is pretty crummy, so I, I can see how that would absolutely be true. Yeah. I mean, imagine just you and your wife and you, you've got a really great system set up. You know, and I'm not talking, I don't have a screening room. I don't even have a really, really huge uh, TV screen. But, I mean, unless it's, again, unless it's Avatar, you know, um, it's, it's the experience of just, you know, not having any idiots around and stopping when we want to stop, you know, it's really quite amazing, you know. I, I can see how that would be the case. Uh, I don't know. I guess I have been fortunate. There have been a number of times when I've been able to go to the theaters in Little Rock. Like when I went to go see Ponyo, uh, I was able to sit there and watch that in a completely empty empty room, just me. Yeah. That was well, awesome. That's, a, that's always a good thing, yeah. Just me and Miyazaki. It was amazing. Uh, I used to live in a town called Harrisonville where the – Theater audiences were the worst. Somebody answered their phone in the middle of the conclusion to Return of the King. <laughs> and it was literally like, hello? Yeah, I'm in the middle of a movie right now. Oh, we have that all the time, <laughs> oh, believe God. it or not. We literally have this all the time. I don't know what, I mean, and I, this is where my fantasy kind of goes into the dark zone. Because mm -hmm. I'm literally picturing myself 
stabbing this person in the head. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I, I just, uh, I can't take it. And there's always, I mean, there's different types of annoying movie people. There's the question asker. You know, <laughs> did she do it? Did he just say that? Oh, Is God. he going to break up with her? I'm like, shut up. <laughs> That's what happened at Kill Bill Volume Two in the same theater. <sighs> What's going to happen uh, to her? She's going to get killed by the snake. It's like, shut up. <laughs> See, I got lucky because the way that it worked out for me, and I mentioned this before on the cast, because I didn't see Volume 1 until the Dollar Theater, I was able to go see Volume 2 later on that night uh, at a theater in Conway, and that went much better. Well, hopefully in our life still, we'll figure it all out. I mean, you know, so. God, you know, back home in my hometown, they're doing this in Germany. They do this thing now where the most amazing movies, they will do these public viewings in this old rune. Like there's this old oh, castle rune. And, and you know, people, it's actually the guy who owns the local movie theater, he'll put it on and he just throws it out there. And he did that when I was there with a movie called The Untouchables, which really is a fantastic movie. Do you remember yes, that Elliot movie? Ness. Brian De Palma. Elliot Ness. Love that uh, the, No, the one, the, oh, the in, French Oh, The one. Untouchables. The yeah, Untouchables. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've not seen that yet. I need to see oh, that. I've heard it's so it's, good. I mean, it, 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 I, I can't remember seeing a better movie. I mean, we're not talking about genre movie here. We're talking about a, a, a drama based on a real story. But it's also funny as hell. And it's got so much heart. And... I, I, I sat there in this public view and I said, why can't we fucking figure this out in the USA? <laughs> that is that is such an awesome story. We cannot thank you enough for having come on. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. We're, we're big fans and we're only going to continue to be such. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, let's stay in touch. And, Please you do. Know, yeah. I, I have done this now a couple of times, these type of podcasts, and I almost feel there needs to be, there needs to be, it's it's like I want to connect you guys to the other guys that I love that have a podcast, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I feel like there needs to be some kind of community of, you yes. know, people who are on the right side of, of what Hollywood should be like, and maybe who have blogs and podcasts, we just need to do some kind of Facebook site where people can meet each other. I'm I'm certain that your podcasts are probably more interesting when sometimes you have a guest from another podcast, correct? Mm -hmm. We've had some I good mean, experiences, yes. Once yeah. in a while. I mean, if they do something specifically else or, or whatever. So I think that's something. And by the way, especially two guys doing a podcast who are in favor of women, I can probably connect you to some women who are uh, having podcasts or doing the same or some Please. female directors. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because because we want to engage in that community, you know. I, I'll be honest. Uh, my mother is uh, a former. She's a, a former winner of Little Rock Teacher of the Year. Um, she is one of the most powerful, strong women I've ever met. And I, I really do believe that my goal in life is to have led in her example. Well, that's amazing. Because I want to be as strong as she is. Uh, my parents are the, some of the strongest, most outspoken people I've ever met in terms of teaching me that you judge a person based on what on them. You don't judge them on anything else beyond just who they are. Yeah, I wish they would have been more people's parents. <laughs> uh, I'm in the South. Don't even get me started. 
<laughs> oh yeah oh yeah well that you know let's do that let's figure out if you guys have any suggestions because i seem to be a person who find i mean podcasts and bloggers find me so if you have any suggestion of some kind of maybe i should start a, a tweet list people don't really talk to each other but if you have a suggestion for any kind of online place where people can meet then let me know and i'll get facebook it going. groups are good for that facebook groups have been very good for that Okay, good. Okay, I'm, I'm going to get it started. But please do, because again, we cannot thank you enough for your time today. This has been a, a great experience. Well, thank you. Let's do it again sometime. Please, yeah, please. Absolutely. We'd love to do a follow-up. Okay, sounds good. And stay right. in touch for sure, okay? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, well, thank you. Thank you, guys. Take care. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do our, uh, our little wrap-up here. Uh, you can find us on our blog at uh, thefilmroom.podbean.com There we will post lots of links. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thefilmroom. Our Twitter, you can find us. I am at PermitiveManPRD. Austin here is at UntitledUser. And Lexi Alexander is at LexiAlex. Follow her, she posts a bunch of great stuff. The podcast Twitter feed is at FilmRoomCast. You can email us at filmroompodcast at gmail.com We'll, we'll get back to our normal schedule later, but uh, right. thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you guys. Go out there and be activists for this, because, you know, yeah, Hollywood needs that kick in the ass. Mm-hmm. So. Hollywood needs a kick in the ass hard, and, and y'all, seriously, if you do nothing else, Green Street Hooligans and Punisher Warzone are out there. We both cannot recommend them enough. They're both awesome. Awesome sets. Yes. Pirate, you are a pirate. We got us a map to lead us to a hidden box that's all locked up with locks and buried deep away. We'll dig up the box. We know it's full of precious booty. First, open the locks and then we'll say hooray! Pretty bubbles in the air They fly so high They reach the sky And like my dreams They fade and die Fortune's always lighting